I can remember finishing work at Sanitarium, and I was about 20, and you think you're indestructible at 20. And I thought to myself, the car was actually maintained, so that wasn't a bad thing for someone just out of their peas. The tyres actually did have rubber on them. And I finished work at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I needed to drive to Lismore. And from Kurumbong to Lismore, was, I, I'm, I can't remember, I think it was about eight hours. And as I got to within a bee's whisker of actually being at the house that I'd be staying at for the next 12 months as a volunteer, uh, there were these lights coming towards me. It was night time. And it was a big, long, straight road. And there was a car actually, I'm not sure how far behind, but it actually gave the illusion that there was a car overtaking the car that was actually heading towards me. And I was a little tired, probably a bit too tired to be driving, but that's the funny thing. You get close to your destination, you think, oh, I can just keep going. And I saw these lights coming at me, and then I saw the lights behind it, which gave the illusion they were overtaking. They actually weren't. And for the first time in my life, I may or may not have used one of these little bad boys to slow me down. But having an expensive car, it didn't really matter to it because it was a bomb. Uh, it, was just, it was just more damaged to what it already was. Probably knocked a bit of rust out of it. But guardrails are important. And the thing, the thing about guardrails is there are two purposes for them. And the first purpose is to direct you. And the second purpose is to protect you. Because guardrails are never, ever positioned in a place of danger. They're actually positioned in a place of safety. They're actually in the safe zone. If you hit them, they will protect you from killing yourself, generally, but they're actually there to stop you from doing something a little worse. Today, we are hitting, we're starting a series for the next five weeks on guardrails. And one of the important things, and this is the big idea, I'm sorry, Rick, I'll skip the text and come back to it, but the big idea that we're actually looking at with guardrails is this, and I think it'll come up on the screen. Just as we need physical guardrails on a road to direct and protect us, we need guardrails in other areas of our lives as well. And that's what I want to explore today with you, and over the next five weeks, and for those of you who've been here in the holidays, you'll be thinking, Sean, we've had enough of you, mate. We've seen you for four weeks in a row. Uh, I want to assure you that over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be using uh, Pastor Rick, Pastor Neil. Uh, we've also got Lauren preaching for us and a couple other people. The old mind's ticking over. But uh, be rest assured, uh, if you've been here for the last month, uh, thank you for coming again. But uh, today, I want to kick off this series. Before I do it, I'd actually like to pray over the passages we're going to read. So if you could just uh, bow your heads with me and let's pray over these two passages we're going to read today. Lord God in heaven, we thank you that we're here. It's so nice to have our whole church family back. Uh, we are a church community that enjoys holidays, and during school holidays, our teachers and our parents need that break. Uh, it's great to have so many of our familiar faces back, and for new people, it's great to have you here as well. And Lord, today I just pray that your spirit anoints the words that I share. Amen. First passage that I want to read to you today, and if you've got your 
I say Bibles, but I'm going to guess some of you do have those things made of paper. Uh, But if you don't, open your phone, and we're going to have a look at Ephesians chapter 5. And Ephesians chapter 5, it's just three verses from verse 15 to 18, which I think is four verses, but from 15 to 18. If you don't have your phone, bless you, uh, it'll be on the screen as well. I'm reading from the New Living Version, uh, but you can read whatever version suits you. It is entitled, Living by the Spirit's Power. Living by the Spirit's Power. Verse 15, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Verse 16, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Verse 17, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So again, today, what I would like to do is to actually have a look at why we have guardrails in our life. Now, I'm going to guess that most of us have had parents or teachers, mentors, or perhaps a good book that you've read, and it has actually helped forge the person that you have become. For some of us, myself included, I'm still reading and listening and and hearing stories and testimonies and I'm starting to add even extra guardrails to my life to protect the way that I live and to also protect those that I love, those people around me. The sad thing in life, and I'm going to call my mate Bluey. Bluey I grew up with, it's definitely not his name, it sounds like a dog, Uh, but Bluey uh, was a year older than me at school. Um, Bluey went to church with me. We did Pathfinders together. Uh, Bluey and I caught the bus together. Uh, we pretty much had to spend a lot of our lives together. And then, sadly for Bluey, when he finished school and myself, we both worked at the same place. Different areas, different roles. And Bluey was in our youth group at church. And he came up to me one day and he said, I've made a decision. <laughs> Now, if you knew Bluey like I knew Bluey, there were a lot of decisions that needed to be made. And Bluey came up to me and said, I've made a decision. I still want to drink. I said, okay. I still want to go out partying at least three nights a weekend. I'm like, good on you, mate. Like Sunday as well. Uh, Yep. And I plan not to come to church until Jesus returns. I said, really? I said, so how will you know when Jesus is going to return? He said, I will know. I said, I hope so. The problem with our society is that we don't like guardrails. We don't. We like guardrails when they protect us and they direct us. But there's heaps of occasions in our lives we hate guardrails. They get in our road. I want to tell you that our culture, the Australian culture, doesn't encourage guardrails. Culture is content with just painted lines. Culture often creates or lives within the grey of life. Drink responsibly. Sex, just wait until you're ready. Consolidate your debts. Listen to your heart. Culture doesn't encourage guardrails. I can remember as a young guy studying at college to be a pastor, 
learning a really important lesson. It's also a rule that Billy Graham followed, and there was a politician a long time ago in the US called Mike Pence. He also followed the same rule. And this is the rule. If you go to a restaurant, or if you decide to be in a car with, as a male, with a single female, don't do it. The reason being, the guardrails that we need to set up in life are not only to protect ourselves, but to also protect other people. My dad taught me when I was a young fella, starting to look at all these beautiful young women around the place. He said to me, son, you need to protect that young lady as if it was your sister. Now, that wasn't a great illustration because from time to time I wasn't the best big brother. But what he was saying is, when you date a young lady, you protect her like she was your sister. And I knew exactly what he was getting at. And it is something that I've tried to live by in my life. People who actually live by those standards are often mocked. In the Harvard Business Review, they actually mocked Mike Pence and Billy Graham as saying, what fools, like seriously, can't men control themselves? Men shouldn't, be, shouldn't refuse to be alone with female colleagues. But the reality is in, in our society, if we fall across the line and we don't actually set up those proper guardrails, we are considered to be homewreckers, abusers, and men or women of low moral standards. This is the point that I want to make about guardrails. If you opt for guardrails, and I would guess, as you're starting to do a little bit of a calculation in your own mind, some of the guardrails that you have set up, that perhaps your parents have helped you, your mates or your mentors, your teachers have helped you set up, helped you form. You'll actually start to go through those and say, I am so glad that I learned those things from my, from my dad or my mum, from my teacher or mentor. If you opt for guardrails, you will not be celebrated. Society doesn't celebrate it. But you will have fewer regrets. You'll be able to look at yourself in the mirror each morning and know that you are the man or the woman that God has created you to be. This is not a new idea or an original idea. This is part of being part of the family of God. I'm really sad to say that I want to look at an Old Testament story with you today and it depicts a king in a really, really negative light. And I want to tell you that this king was incredibly honest with his mistakes. But he lived with that mistake for the rest of his life. And it actually altered the way that even his family can, um, loved him. And it also demonstrated that his family um, said, Dad, you've actually lived a life that is not always morally true. And it caused a lot of strain within his family. And the man that I'm talking about is King David. And today, we're going to have a look at King David and Uriah. We're going, to, we're going to contrast these two characters and be able to actually look at them and say, boy, oh boy, Uriah was a man of God and a man of incredible standing. 
He had set up guardrails in his life that made him an absolute legend when it comes to being a man. And then we look at David, who had all of the potential in the world. To be honest, the Bible talks about he was a man after God's own heart. And yet, a man after God's own heart still fell incredibly. And he was a man after God's own heart because he knew that because of his failings, he needed to reset up some of these big barriers, these big guardrails to protect himself. Does anyone know what the name Uriah means? I didn't. I had to actually check it out. You may not. But Uriah, we believe he was a Hittite. And the Hittites were actually uh, enemies of the Israelites, big time. And yet, at some point in time, and I'm not sure whether it was when David was wandering around while King Saul was still around and he met Uriah, Uriah was converted to God. We just don't know his story enough, but we do know that he possibly changed his name because a Hittite would have not named his son after Yahweh God. He wouldn't have. So he must have at some point in his conversion to God, he actually said, you know what, I need to take a new name. His name, Yah, or God, is light, or Yahweh is my light. Uriah is an incredibly powerful name, a great boy's name. Yah, God is light, or Yahweh is my light. We don't know if Uriah was given this name from birth, but I'm going to guess that he actually changed his name because he had a Hebrew name, not a Hittite name. This name suggests that despite his heritage, Uriah was a 100% committed follower of Yahweh. Now, I want to look at the context of the story, but the best way to do that is for us to open our Bibles again. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're going to read 15 verses, uh, and those 15 verses tell an incredible story of Uriah. It also shows the amazing guardrails this guy must have had set up in his life. The context of the story. Let's read in verse 1. In the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab, who was his general, and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army, laid siege to their city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. That is a significant part of the story that we need to reflect on. Because it says in verse 1, in the spring of that year, when kings and their armies normally went out to war, David is at home in the city of Jerusalem. Verse 2. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. 
Then she returned home. Verse 5, later when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent a message to David saying, I am pregnant. Then David sent word to the general Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David and when Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, go home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace, but Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's guard. In verse 10, when David heard that Uriah had gone home, he summoned him and asked, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Uriah replied, the ark and the armies of the Israel and Judah are living in tents and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never, ever do such a thing. And the story starts to wrap up, verse 12. Well, stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. Uriah the Hittite. He wasn't just one of David's army. He was actually one of the 30. The Bible tells us that there were 30 mighty men. Most probably, these were the men that David knew the best. These were the men who were with David when Saul was chasing after him in the, in the desert country. These men, David could look them in the eye, knew them by name, knew their personality, and knew who they were. What we know about David is that for a long period of his life, he was one of the mightiest warriors himself. The Bible tells us that when Saul, the first king of Israel, was around, people would sing the song, Saul can destroy the enemy in their thousands, but David in their tens of thousands. David didn't do it alone. He had his, his soldiers, but he had his 30 mighty men. And Uriah, he was one of them. He knew who Uriah the Hittite was. But unfortunately, David didn't know who he was. One of David's greatest weaknesses was the fact that he didn't just need one wife, he needed hundreds and heaps of concubine. And on top of that, now in this story, we learn that David wasn't even happy with that, he needed someone else's wife. Poor Uriah is out doing what he should have been doing. He was out there fighting for God and for God's people. And where was David? He was home. He wasn't actually doing what God had asked him to do. One of the other things that we learn about Uriah is he was a man of incredible integrity. You know, a lot of people would have said, well, why didn't he go home? But in the Old Testament, a soldier, an elite soldier, would not go home and sleep with their wives during the times of war. They went through abstinence because they, had, they believed it was part of purifying themselves before God. This was how they actually honoured God. 
They focused on what God's purpose was and what God's mission was for their lives. Uriah was 100% true to his commitment to God. David, on the other hand, was the complete opposite. We know that further into the story, which, which we haven't read, but you, you'd be welcome to read it from verse 16 down, you actually learn that David actually asks Uriah to go back and he sends him a little message. And in that message, it's a special message between the king and it has the king's seal on it and it is to go to Joab, the general of the army. If only Uriah knew. But on that piece of paper, it actually had instructions for Joab to send Uriah into the most fiercest part of the battle and then to retreat and leave him there. Sadly, Uriah the Hittite dies. We think by the, by the arrows from the city of Rabbah. And he was left there. And some of the other really good fighting men of Israel also died because of David's need to hide his sins. Because he didn't have any guardrails up, King David. 